Well, good morning. Still morning. 15 more minutes of morning. Um, glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Ben Robertson. I'm the campus minister with uh, RUF at the College of William and Mary. Students, welcome back again. And remember, students, there's a free lunch. Um, maybe the last one of your life right out there. Um, <laughs> here. Um, actually, you'll learn which, which strings are attached to it once you come. Uh, it's bait and switch. No, it's not. Um, but I'd love to meet you there if we haven't met students. Um, and uh, just thrilled that you're here and uh, looking forward to just sharing God's grace together. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 3, starting verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 15. Uh, this is the story of Nicodemus, a man who comes to Jesus at night to talk. It's a familiar story if you've grown up in the church, um, but I hope that we will uh, see it differently a little bit today. So John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you uh, needing your spirit, needing your help. We come to you from all over the place, uh, but each of us is really in the same place, on the same place as Nicodemus, and we need your grace to understand, to even get what it is that you're saying, and so we ask, Lord, by that same spirit, would you be with us now, even now, and move, and bring about change, and growth, and faith. We ask this in your name. Amen. You know what Hulu is? TV on your computer? Uh, my wife and I uh, watch, watch Hulu on our computer because I guess we didn't get enough TV on our TV. Um, but a, a show that's on Hulu that we like, there are these little short episodes, they're like seven minutes long each, is a show called Control. Uh, it's spelled like the control key on a keyboard, CTRL. 
and it stars an actor named Tony Hale. He's most famous for playing Buster on Arrested Development, if you're familiar with that show. Uh, but Tony's character um, is this office worker. He's kind of this nerdy, geeky, uh, computer programmer, stereotypical guy. And he works for this jerk, uh, who's sort of your stereotypical jock jerk, who uh, chucks the football around the office, and he's only there because his father owns the company and gets by because everyone around him is competent to cover up for his incompetence. And uh, he is throwing the football around the office, and Tony's drinking his delicious product placement Nest Tea, uh, raspberry flavor, I believe, and the football hits him in the back of the head, and he spills Nest Tea all over his computer, all over his keyboard, and it messes up his file, and he gets upset. He turns around, he yells at his boss, and then gets dressed down for that. And then the secretary comes over, and she's helping him clean up, and it's very clear within a split second that he has a crush on her that he's probably had for some time, and he's rude to her and offends her, and she walks away, and then he, here he is in a mess of Nest Tea, his glasses on the desk, and his computer a wreck, his work all messed up on the screen. He picks up his glasses, he puts them on, and then he hits Control-Z. And if you're a computer person, you know what Control-Z means. Can you tell us? Anybody know? You can say it. Undo. And he notices that after hitting undo, the screen is fixed, but also his glasses are back on the table. He puts his glasses back on, and he hits Control-Z. And now his glasses are back on the table. And he realizes that something has happened by the power of Nest-T. His, <laughs> his keyboard has been given miraculous powers. It controls not just what's on the screen, but what's around it. So he hits Control-Z, and he didn't snap at the girl that he likes. He hits Control-Z, and he didn't yell at his boss. He hits Control-Z, and he ducked before the football hit him in the head. And it's not long in the show before he realizes, I could go back and change anything. I could change everything. How would you like to have that keyboard? Wouldn't that be something? College students, you know, they, they taught you all the way through high school, there's no such thing as a dumb question. But you found out now that that's not true. <laughs> And, you know, so you're, you're the one who asked that one, and it became clear by the professor's puzzled look that that was one of those. And Control-Z, and you didn't say that, right? Um, Control-Z, and you didn't miss that first step in front of the girl that you like. Control-Z, and you remembered to take a shower. Control-Z, and, um, you know, you didn't spill your coffee or stub your toe or say that silly thing. Well, there's little things we would use it for constantly, I'm sure, but then there's big things, things you'd want to go back and change, not just that you didn't spill your coffee, but that just coffee with the coworker that you didn't mention to your wife that seemed like no big deal, but then spiraled into something far more dangerous. You decided not to go, and you didn't lose your children. A word spoken in anger to a loved one a family member, an argument that ran out of control, but neither one of you knows how to apologize now, and you've never spoken since. Control-Z. And we're a family again. Control-Z, and the relationship never happened. Control-Z, and you left that, pow that party about an hour earlier before things got out of control. Control-Z. Jesus is saying... 
You must be born again to Nicodemus. It's not exactly like control Z, but it's kind of. This idea of a fresh start, a restart, a clean slate, being born again, that's what our passage is about. I want to ask some questions about that. But what, is, what does it mean to be born again? But the first question I want to ask about being born again, this rebirth, is who needs it? Who needs it? Um, the idea of being born again is a very popular idea, particularly in 12-step uh, programs like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's incorporated in some of the curriculum. Why? Because as many of you who've struggled with alcohol alcoholism know, when you've made all those mistakes for years and years and years, and then you're told and you're given the message that this can be undone, you could get a clean start. God can see you as a newborn baby. That's very appealing. There's a sense in which none of that counts. Give me that. Give me that restart. Give me the start over. In prison ministry, the idea of the new birth is a common text to take uh, prisoners too, in the midst of an evangelistic uh, explanation, that they could, they could restart, that all these crimes and these things that they regret, the brokenness with their family, and you tell that to someone who's really messed up their life and who really is in a place where they really see it and they really see that things are undeniably wrong. I'm addicted to drugs. I live under a bridge. I'm stuck in prison. I'm at a 12-step program. I need an undo. Give me that. Give me that rebirth. Give me the start over. Um, Many of you are in that position. You have real and deep and lifelong regrets that you would love to be born again. You love that about the gospel. Maybe you do believe the gospel and that's what you love so much about it, but you feel in so many ways that you really ought to be unforgivable, that you are irredeemable or damaged goods. And Jesus says to you, to the alcoholic, to the prisoner, I've got your control Z right here. It's called being born again. It's called starting over. It's called new life. But what's interesting about our text is that the person Jesus is talking to is very different than that. In our text, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, who is he? Verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, now, if you've been around the church, you know what a Pharisee is in concept. We tend to have this caricature of these really hypocritical, self-righteous people that no one likes. And that's kind of true. I mean, Jesus definitely exposed their false religion. But if you go back to the people that John was writing to and you said the word Pharisee, they would have a very opposite impression of that. They would like Pharisees. Pharisees were good people. Um, they were extremely moral and well-respected. They were prayerful. They gave abundantly to the poor and took donations for the poor. They lived relatively simply. They were the people that did things right. It's your neighbor up the street who has a well-kept lawn and who is a member of the HOA and who takes care of their neighbors and who gives to all these organizations, takes care of the poor in the community and um, goes to church every Sunday and knows their Bible very well. But more than that, it says that he was a ruler of the Jews. And what that means is that he sat on a council called the Sanhedrin. It was a ruling body that helped govern uh, the community. It's the city council. So um, what's interesting, too, is the Sanhedrin was primarily made up of people from the party called the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were more conservative than the Sadducees in their theology 
in their understanding of the Old Testament and the way that they applied the law of God. But several things that we know by him being on the Sanhedrin. Uh, first, he was probably old. Tend to be older men on the Sanhedrin back when that was respected, as it still should be now. And second, he was probably wealthy. It was a powerful community. They had um, tended to be wealthy men in the community. Third, he had power. He had influence. And fourth, he was respected and admired not just by the common people who all looked up to the Pharisees, but also by the powers that be of the day. He had clout. He had influence. He had persuasion. If, we, um, if he lived today, you would be putting up his sign in your front yard, re-elect Nicodemus to Sanhedrin. Um, not only that, uh, Jesus in verse 10, did you notice what he calls him? He says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And a lot of the commentators think that the way the Greek is organized, he's not just saying one of the teachers, that the way it's stated, it's like a title or a nickname. As if people in the community knew this member of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisee Nicodemus, and they called him the teacher of Israel. He has a PhD in Old Testament. People go to him with their questions when they're trying to figure out the Bible. He's the one that they go to. He's the one that they want the answers from. He's not an alcoholic. He's never been to prison. He's never been in a 12-step program. He has, in the words of Paul McCartney, a well-respected man about town doing the best things so conservatively. And ironically, he's exactly who we tend to think of when we use the phrase born-again Christian, isn't it? A good guy who knows the answers, who knows the Bible, who keeps his life clean. But Jesus says, who needs this? Nicodemus, you do. You righteous man, you respected man, you successful man, you moral man, you biblical man, you spiritual man, control Z. It needs an undo. All of that needs to be undone. Do you realize that you need an undo? Now, I'm not saying that if you have been born again, that you need to be born again again. I'm not teaching multiple salvations here. But do you realize that? That everything is what needs the undo. Your failure needs the undo and your success. Your mistakes need the undo. And so does your righteousness. Does that bother you at all? It definitely bothers me. And it bothered Nicodemus too. Well, let's take a closer look. Um, everyone needs it, but what is it? What is the rebirth? Who needs it? Nicodemus needs it. Alcoholics need it. I need it. You need it. What is it? What is it? Uh, Nicodemus wants to know that too. Verse 4. He's really confused. What does he say? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's lost. He's, what in the world are you talking about? Um, it's, I don't know if you've ever told anyone the phrase born again. We use it so much that we almost say it like it's one word instead of two, right? Born again. Um, and it's really lost its meaning. And Nicodemus' response is correct. I remember a few years ago on campus sitting down 
uh, with a student who would come to RUF quite a bit, and she was raised Hindu. And when we were talking about the concept of being born again, and she's like, what in the world does that mean? How is that possible? Exact same response as Nicodemus. It was really neat to, to hear someone hear that for the first time. But his response, he's confused. What are you talking about? And Jesus goes on and he explains, but he also sort of seems to expect Nicodemus to have known the answer anyway. Isn't that funny? But uh, he, he explains, verse 5, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It's interesting. There's a couple things that we see there, and it is, even still, it's kind of confusing language, isn't it? But a couple ideas. First, it's not physical, it's spiritual. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's a spiritual rebirth, and it comes by the Spirit. But then there's this idea of being born of the water and spirit. What does that mean? And it's this twofold idea that happens in the new birth. First, the born of water has this idea of cleansing, of washing, of being renewed. And then, of course, the Spirit is giving new life. So it's a cleansing, and it's a new life out of death. Um, but then he says to Nicodemus this amazing thing. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You can't read the Bible very long before you realize that Jesus is a very frustrating person to have a conversation with. Um, he, he's, he's saying these sorts of things all the time and redirecting people. And here's this biblical scholar, and Jesus uses this strange metaphor, and he's saying, don't marvel at this. And sometimes we read this because we've had years of studying the Bible and studying Jesus and commentaries, and we can kind of caricature Nicodemus at this point. Like he's, yeah, he knows the Bible, but he's really this sort of spiritual imbecile who just doesn't get it, and he should understand Jesus, but he doesn't. We would probably be equally confused. But what is Jesus doing? Why use the strange language? Why get in his face and say, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Why are you marveling at this? What is he doing? And I think it has a lot to do with why 2.18 people per year are killed by Coke machines. Um, 2.18 people per year are killed by Coke machines. Well, how does that happen? That's more than sharks, by the way. Um, <laughs> here's what happens. You go to the Coke machine, right, and you put your money in. And like when I was a kid, it was 50 cents, but it's more now. But let's say you, you, know, you, put, your first, you put your two quarters in, boom, boom and you kind of hear them clink down, and then you hit the button, and what happens? Nothing happens. And so what do you do? You bang on the machine, right? You sort of boom, you know, you pound on it, and then you hit the button again, and what happens? Nothing. So then what do you do? You grab the sides of the machine, and you start rocking it. You shake it. You put your shoulder into it, and 2.18 people per year, it does not end well. Uh, <laughs> such that... They actually have, if you look, at, next time you're at a Coke machine, look at, the, there's a little sticker with a picture of a stick man and a Coke machine falling on him <laughs> and falling back to warn you. Um, uh, not to do that. <laughs> but it's what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus here. Nicodemus is the Coke machine and Jesus is giving him a good shake. Don't marvel at this. He's banging on the front of it. And then throughout the text, he starts shaking him more and more and more. Why? Because the coins have already gone in. You're the teacher of Israel and know not these things. Ezekiel 36 says this, this idea of new birth, that you need to be washed with water, that you need a new life, that you need a restart. 
Ezekiel 36 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Sound familiar? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's coin number one. Then the next chapter in Ezekiel chapter 37. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. And there's this valley, it's a famous passage of the valley of dry bones, which is a symbol for Israel's spiritual condition. It's saying, God's saying to them, you're not just dead, you're decayed and rotten, and there's just dry bones. That's you spiritually. And you say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath, which can also be translated spirit, or wind, to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Cleansing and new life, Nicodemus, you've heard it before. Don't marvel that I say this to you. He is grabbing that Coke machine and shaking him. You think that you know, but you don't. You think that you've heard it, but you obviously you still haven't gotten it yet. I am not impressed that you're on the Sanhedrin. I am not impressed that you know your Old Testament. I am not impressed that you give to the poor, even though it is what I command. I am not impressed that you're at church. I'm not impressed that you sing in the choir. I'm not impressed that you volunteer for nursery. I'm not impressed that you know your scripture. I'm not impressed that you teach Sunday school. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed, Nicodemus. Don't roll your eyes. Don't say you know. Don't say you've heard it. You need the control Z. You need the new birth. You need to be washed. You need CPR. It's you, not the drunks, not just the prisoners, not just the potheads, but you. Do over. Okay, I need it. It's a new life. It's a restart. It's a cleansing. I need it. You need it. How do we get it? How do we get it? Jesus explains more. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Catch that. How do we do it? It's like trying to control the wind. I hate that. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it if I could have this life. Just tell me the good thing I could do for you, Jesus, that would make everything okay. And Jesus says, it's the wind. The Spirit blows where he wishes. Um... That really irks Pharisees like me. I'm a preacher's kid. And my Coke machine has been shaken many a time. I want to do something. I want to get the answer right. I want to look good. I want to impress. I hate that. But it is the best news. It is such good news that the Spirit must move, that the Spirit gives life, that the Spirit gives the do-over. Well, how does it, how does it move? And we've got to know more. What, is, what else does Jesus say? Where does it come from? And Nicodemus is marveling. He's saying, how can these things be? 
Jesus is saying, you get this spiritual CPR from me. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things, verse 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's this interesting thing, and your, your Bible probably has a footnote about it. This phrase, born again, uh, it has sort of a double meaning. There's a double entendre, and it can actually be translated born from above. And there's widespread agreement that this is on purpose, that it's meant to say both. You need to be born again, and you need to be born from above. And then Jesus takes that from above metaphor, and he's saying, if you don't believe what I'm telling you down here, how can you believe what's from above? And by the way, no one knows what's from above except the one who's been there. And by the way, that's me the Son of Man. This, this spiritual life, this blowing of the Spirit, it comes from the one who comes from the same place as the Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost together, the Trinity. It's me. I give you the Spirit. I breathe CPR into you. I'm from above, and now I have come down. Will you receive what I'm saying? That's how we get that breath. That's how we get that new life. And it's the same place where we get the cleansing. The, the new life comes through Jesus granting his spirit coming from above, but also the cleansing comes through what? Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent at the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What on earth is that? Well, Nicodemus would have recognized that story. He would have known what he's talking about. It's from Numbers chapter 21. And you may remember the story. It's sort of a strange one. It's more than sort of a strange one. It's a really strange one where the Israelites are wandering around, they've been complaining and rebelling and, and, and going against God, and then so God sends serpents into the community. They're biting people who are then becoming sick and dying. And Moses calls out to the Lord, and God instructs him to create a bronze serpent and to hoist it up on a pole, to lift it up. And so all the people who are sick and diseased and dying, if they will look to the bronze serpent up on a pole, they will live. And so Moses does so, and that is what happens. People live. They are healed. They are cleansed. And Jesus is saying, something better than a serpent on a stick has come. The Son of Man who came from above is going to be lifted up. And again, there's John's beautiful double entendre. It's both his glorification and his humiliation at the same time. The Son of Man will be lifted up on a pole, and all who look to me will live. There is a death about you that needs life, Nicodemus. There is a sickness about you that needs healing. Look to the one, lift it up, and live. Believe in me and live. Your cleansing and your life will come through my death and my blood. That's how new birth comes. Which makes sense because that's how first birth comes, isn't it? I have three children. We didn't get the epidural on one. And I'm not going to be too graphic. But you know what my children did to get born? Nothing. And they cried when they got out. You know what Dawn did? Moms know. Every one of us came into the world this way. Through groaning and tears. And I, again, I'm not trying to be too graphic, but a whole lot of blood. You were born through the suffering of another. And we are born again the same way. 
something even greater, an even greater suffering, an even greater blood, an even greater groaning on the cross. Look to me and live. Well, what about Nicodemus? And the, our chapter ends and we don't really know what happened. But John continues to give us a hint because Jesus gave that Coke machine a good shake. In chapter 7, when the Sanhedrin are talking about this conspiracy to kill Jesus, Nicodemus pipes up and he basically says, doesn't he deserve a fair trial first? But he's sort of brushed to the side. Shut up, Nicodemus. We're moving on. But the Coke machine still wobbled. In chapter 19 of John, uh, Jesus has been killed. His, his disciples have run for fear for their own lives. But a man named Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate, and he says, I would like the body. And then a man called Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus at night, shows up. With 75 pounds of spices and aloe and linen to wrap the body. Now, that would be an enormous cost. It would have been wildly expensive. It was essentially a burial fit for a king out of Nicodemus's pocket. What's remarkable about it was not just that it was expensive, but that Nicodemus comes himself to do it. In those days, wrapping dead bodies was considered a woman's work. So here, this dignified, respected man in town who is elderly carries 75 pounds of spices that he paid for and goes and puts his hands on a dead body and wraps it in linen and tucks it in Joseph's tomb. Not only that, he's the teacher of Israel. And what's Israel in the middle of celebrating? Passover. What happens when you touch a dead body? Not for you. You're unclean. Get out. Why would he be willing to do that? Because he saw his Passover lamb lifted up. And he recognized now he's wrapping him in spices, so he has no idea that this resurrection's coming. But he's got some idea that this was the one, this was my sacrifice, this was what he told me would happen. And in his death, Nicodemus found life. Through his blood, he found cleansing. Through his death, Nicodemus was reborn. And the same can be for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were lifted up, that you died to give us life that by your spirit we can be renewed, that we can be forgiven, and that though we may live with a lifetime of regret, either regret of self-righteousness or regret of abuse or regret of harm that we have done, that you can make it all new, that you can forgive, that your cross is sufficient, that you are the Son of Man who was lifted up, and that is no small thing, but the very source of life itself. We look to you, Lord. Give us faith. Give us eyes to see. Holy Spirit, move. Give us life again. We ask this in your name. Amen.